Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. What if you were climbing the ranks in a sport you loved, only to suffer an injury that made you stop entirely? Today we talk to local racer Matt Bell of COS Racing about his switch from running to cycling, why all mountain bikes aren't good for all races, and why Type 2 fun is better with friends. All right, everybody, welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. There are some of us who started out practically born on a bicycle. And then there's some of us who came to the game a little later. Today's guest is definitely in that second camp. Today, we are talking to racer Matt Bell here in Colorado Springs, who originally might have spent more time running than riding. Josh, why don't you tell us a little more about today's guest? So a little bit of intro here. Uh, you, you've, you've done quite a bit of things in a very short amount of time since you've transitioned into this cycling world, you know, you, you were a little bit of a roadie and then some gravel racing and some mountain bike racing and you kind of do it all. And in that time, you've done really well in the Pikes Peak hill climb, hill climb race. Um, you've Everested high drive, you've podium at the high plains grinder, uh, you, your team, just a couple weekends ago, got second place to a pretty pretty stacked pro team at uh, Sunrise to Sunset in Castle Rock. And we're not going to say who might have gotten third, who might have also be on this podcast if we've been in the same category. Different categories, different categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you also spent some time running for the Air Force Academy. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your your backstory. It sounds like you were a pretty dominant force back in the day, just just from the website. I mean, I <laughs> I haven't talked to you about this yet, so I'm interested to hear your background um, and how you got to be where you are now. But first of all, where where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, sounds like you've been doing a little bit of creeping on the Air Force Academy. I try web page there, but uh, <laughs> no, from grew up in Denver, Colorado, and then. Lived in the same house my entire life until I moved um, out of uh, out of house to go to college at the Air Force Academy, and then was there for the four years, um, and then went out to Oklahoma for a few years, pilot training, New Jersey for a few, and then thankfully back to Colorado Springs. So kind of full circle, but only unfortunately just here for a few years before I go off to the next assignment. Those are three three year assignments. Yeah, typically three three and a half years for a pilot in the Air Force. So are you, like many I know in the Air Force, already making plans to be back here eventually when it's all said and done? I am, for sure. Yeah, there so, you go. There's at least one more assignment, and then at that point I have the option to stay in or uh, retire and hopefully pick a job with the airline somewhere and come back to Colorado Springs, pick where I want to live at that point. Right um, Colorado Springs or Denver, but regardless, Colorado. Yeah. For sure. So what are you doing now in the Air Force? So now I'm an instructor pilot over at the Air Force Academy in the glider program. Yeah, it's a big shift going from I flew C seventeen, so one of the the biggest cargo planes down to literally the smallest plane in the Air Force inventory. So, uh, big shift, but a lot of fun. Okay, so I've always wondered this. Back in training, first time you had to get in a glider as a student, what does it feel like when they cut the rope loose and you're up there and you think I have no engine? Like now what? Yeah, the, the first time is definitely quite thrilling um, and a little intimidating. Like pants filling, thrilling, like <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know about pants filling, thrilling, but it's, um, 
it was it was intimidating to think about going into it right like before i started flying the glider even with a couple thousand hours in other aircraft uh, think about like how do you get back to the airport without an engine <laughs> and how do you know how far away you can be uh and still make it back and all this it turns out like once you're cut loose that first time and you're gliding around you realize it just clicks instantly like oh actually this is quite simple um the glide ratio of the gliders that we have is incredible so it's super forgiving mm -hmm. um and it's actually you kind of have to try to mess it up unless you get some really bad weather situations um then as long as you are halfway paying attention you won't get too far away that you'll be able to make it back so did you ever get uh, too far away because you weren't halfway paying attention? Uh, not, not out of, not unintentionally. Oh, have, okay. <laughs> um, we do cross country flying as well, so um, intentionally we will leave final glide or the ability to make it back to the airport you took off from mm -hmm. to try to fly to a different point in the hopes that you can find another thermal and some rising air to climb back up and then go to the next point and so forth and hopefully make it eventually back to where you started. Uh, sometimes though, you don't find that rising air and you end up having to land in another airport and. Um, it's happened to me just once in Texas, but thankfully I landed another little, um, essentially crop duster runway out in the middle of nowhere. But, oh, wow. uh, yeah, then you're either able to tow the plane back off the ground or somebody comes and gets you with the trailer. You take the plane apart and drive it home. So huh. it's a different game. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's fantastic. So yeah. up at the, uh, the Air Force Academy airfield, I've noticed that there's just a giant field. Is it a turf field that you land on up there? It is. Yeah, so I'm told it's like the uh, world's largest um, astroturf sailplane landing area. So. Is that pretty fame? Fame. Like, fame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Pretty crazy. But yeah, no, it's actually uh, essentially four come lanes, but one big landing area with four lanes on it that theoretically four gliders could land simultaneously. Um, but and, and sometimes it happens, not necessarily simultaneously, but we'll have four out there. You stack mm -hmm. one at a time, each per lane, but make sure you have the right like wingtip clearances, stuff, certain distance from each other and whatnot. So, wow, it's a very unique thing um, when you're able to land a glider behind either people or other airplanes on the same runway. Um, it's something yeah. that only happens in a glider community. You never land That's another really real airplane behind another airplane on the same runway. Well, that not a, that's so. not ideal. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, but in these planes, they stop so quickly and your approach speed is so slow that you can put down and stop within a couple hundred feet. So pretty, pretty low threat. I always wondered growing up, just watching those circle around my house as a kid. Because Josh here is from the Springs. So those of us in yeah. Illinois, where I grew up, uh, occasionally would see the crop duster because we had those occasionally my grandparents farm. And all you would do, even as a kid, is walk out there and think, when are they going to die? Yeah, right because it just does not seem safe oh no watching those crop duster pilots fly is a whole different game yeah yeah they is... don't abide by normal human common sense flying rules <laughs> so that they're they're flying under power wires and going right over buildings and no crop dust crop dusting flying is a whole other animal that's crazy yeah that's so you mentioned you were flying c-17s which right. those those are giant aircraft so you, you learned on a glider and you went to C-17 and now you're back. Well, no, so I actually never flew the glider before um, starting the actual oh. pilot training for the Air Force. Yeah, I just uh, went to the initial flight training in Pueblo, and then everybody starts there, and mm -hmm. then branches out to one of the Air Force pilot training bases. And then you fly the T-6, and then either the T-1 or T-38 trainers, and then branch off to whatever aircraft you're going to fly for the Air Force. Um, for me, that was a C-17, and then uh, 
you can come back to the Air Force Academy as an instructor for um, your typically second or third assignment. So they never take first assignment. So right out of pilot training, you can't come back as an instructor in the glider. You have to go fly something else first, and then you can come back here and fly. So my first time really flying in it was as an officer after flying the C-17. Did you get a little bit of an intro, or were you just instructing from day one? Um, you, you get a you get a qualification program in the plane, okay. yeah. So That's what's crazy, the Air Force Academy, and stop me from going into detail or off on a tangent here, but like oh, it's uh, all the we actually qualify cadets at the academy to be instructors in the glider as well. Um, so we'll have it takes about a year and about eighty flights to get one of the cadets of the academy to become an instructor, but then we'll send a twenty year old out there teaching a nineteen year old both cadets how to fly in the glider. Um, but a lot of the officers are instructors as well. And the officers with the previous flying experience, it's about um, three to six weeks and about 30 flights to become an instructor. So very abbreviated, but uh, still a decent qualification program. Well, thank you for helping to raise the next generation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so... You were at the Air Force Academy, though, which a lot of people think of as being... So you attended the Air Force Academy, correct? As a I cadet? Did. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of people think of that as challenge enough, but you were also an athlete there as well, which right. from everything I've ever heard from anybody in the athletics programs up there, that's not exactly an easy way to spend four years. No, it's definitely not. Uh, there's absolutely no free time over the course of those four years when you're on one of the D1 sports teams. I uh, was simultaneously doing a degree at the academy. So um, I was doing environmental engineering. Um, they have, you know, 32 degrees. Uh, some people think, don't realize that it's actually just a normal college with any degree that you want to pursue almost. But uh, so I was doing environmental engineering simultaneously with D1 track and cross country. So indoor, outdoor track. So all year long in season. And your life is basically class from seven to noon, military lunch with your squadron, with your sports team. Uh, practice all afternoon to dinner, homework, repeat every day, basically very little free time. So, and what, what was it you were running? Like, what were your distances? Uh, for cross country, it was 8K through the main season and then 10K for conference and on. Uh, for track, my main events were 5K, 10K, but dabbled in the 1600 and some 3Ks for indoor. Nice. And some people do sports like that because it is just kind of a thing to do, keeps them busy, keeps them occupied. Other people do it because that is what they eat, sleep, breathe, live, and love is right. that sport. Right. Where were you on that spectrum? Yeah, that's where I was on that end of the spectrum. So I've been a runner since I was in middle school and that's been my passion and my pursuit of excellence, if you will, for lack of a better term, um, since then. So uh, my goal is to make it to nationals while I was in college. Unfortunately, I never made that far. Um, always injury prone. So I was always battling with injuries on and off. And that's actually what led me to cycling is because I realized it took me four years to figure it out. But after four years of constant injuries from running all through college, I realized that if I, first of all, actually slept more than seven or eight hours, six or seven hours a night, more like, um, but also maxed out my miles at about 50 miles of running per week, but added in cycling for four to six hours per week, then I could actually stay healthy and maintain the same fitness level as all the other guys on the team that are running 80 to 100 miles a week. Um, some guys on the team can do that. They can run 80 to 100 miles a week uh, all year without injury, um, mm -hmm. but I was not blessed with those genetics. So uh, once I realized I could cut that mileage down and bike on the side, 
I'd get the fitness and not get hurt. I was able to put a full year together and then actually um, get some decent times. Nice. Well, and that's, this is obviously a great lead in to the next question that we have for you, mm -hmm. which is, we would love to hear more about that change for you. Um, you know, what it was like to take a sport that you love that much. And then now it sounds like that's not really a part of the game anymore for you. Yeah, it's really not. These days I'm lucky if I run once a month and if I do, it's two to four miles. Um, and a couple of days later, well, four, a couple of days later after that one run, my hip will be hurting and I'll be hobbling around a little bit. Um, when I was actually 18, freshman year at the academy, um, I had been dealing with some hip pain for quite a long time, doing everything I could to treat it. Uh, got the MRIs, they showed like potentially a minor tear. Um, but finally enough was enough. I went in, got the surgery done. Turns out I had a pretty substantial tear in the labrum in my right hip. Um, just a combination of bad genetics and a lot of running when I was 18 years old. Uh, so wasn't supposed to run D1 crack or cross country or, or mountain bike or ski or any of the, you know, things that we all do, um, after that. But, uh, of course I did, um, <laughs> it, surprisingly it lasted quite a long time. Like it's been 11 years since then. And I'd be surprised if it lasted that long with having to get refixed without doing any of that stuff. So, but I'm fortunately I'm at that point where, uh, it probably needs a fix sometime soon, but as long as I just bike and, um, kind of refrain from running as much as possible, then the hip is good and I can keep going on. So there's never a good time for another surgery, but it's gonna, it's, it's only a matter of time at this point. So, so was that, that your prim primary impetus to move towards cycling as your primary? It was probably the primary impetus. Uh, there's a lot of things just genetically that pushed me that way as well. Um, mm -hmm. I was also one of the guys that, uh, had to plan their diet daily around the run. And mm -hmm. some guys on the team that I ran with, they could eat whatever they want for lunch. Two hours later, they're out there running 10 miles at five minute mile pace, you know, no factor. Eat a pizza, be fine. Now I'm eating like a bagel, maybe a banana. Three hours later, I can maybe get through a run without having heartburn. So, mm -hmm. or having to stop and find somewhere behind a bush in the middle yep. of a run, um, which happens <laughs> pretty fun. much every run. Yeah. So I was known for just running with a wad of paper towel and my, sh my short shorts or something. And <laughs> th thankfully on the Air Force Academy, it's all single track and there's plenty of chances. It's like all out in the forest, plenty of chances to dip out into the trees behind a bush and yeah. or like there's the, the bathrooms on the golf course that we're always running around. So I had to plan my runs around that. Um, but with cycling, I never have to worry about that. You know, there's no jostling. It's easy on the it's body. Good. I can, you know, get through a run and eat whatever I want or ride and get eat whatever I want and not have to worry about heartburn or mid-ride bathroom breaks. So uh, there's definitely that comfort as well. Um, also from running, fractured my navicular in my right foot, uh, I think in 2016 and had to get a couple screws put into that. So the foot is okay, but that still gets pretty achy as well. So just all things combined have pushed me towards cycling. So as long as I don't crash, um, cycling, yeah. which is, you know, happened a few times, but cycling is great for my body. Don't get injured. So, and it's a ton of fun. Of course, more complicated. You got the bike, all the gear. It's way more expensive. Yeah. Do you miss um, the so, uh, simplicity of running? Oh yeah. God, I miss the simplicity of running. Like you can do it anywhere at any time. All you need is shorts and some shoes and you go. Um, so the simplicity of it is just amazing and, and very few things compared to that endorphin rush when you're out there on a good run and everything's clicking, you're feeling smooth and, um, you're just cruising, but, uh, cycling is 
easier on the body for sure and still a huge adrenaline rush and it's a great community especially here so it's been fun to find that and really use that as my competitive outlet and get more into it and was that you know because some people they hit the point where their body starts kind of falling apart a little bit as as they're trying to compete in their chosen sport and they just decide i think i'm just gonna sit on a couch from here on out you know some people just quit yeah and you instead pivoted was that was it the competitive drive was it against yourself, against others? Like, what was it that made you say, no, 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 no. I'm picking another sport and we're going to keep trying. Yeah, I think it's just the, the competitive drive. I am always need to find something to push myself to my limits. And uh, as painful as endurance sports can be, um, I think a lot of people out there can relate to it, that the, uh, for lack of better words, like the type two fun, right? And um, the joy that comes after the suffering and like what you've accomplished, what you feel, um, after the fact and, and seeing the progression in your fitness as you're training hard and sticking to a plan. Um, I actually haven't speaking of which sticking, I've stuck in sticking. What's the right word? Uh, <laughs> followed. I'll just go with that. Um, a good yeah, plan yeah. consistently, uh, much back and forth since college. Um, but when you do and you see the outcome from that, it's really awesome to see and it's um i don't know it's a good it's a good outlet mentally physically good stress relief was there a point when you were moving from running and it sounds like cycling was already a part of your sort of a part of your life but Mm -hmm. was there a point when you moved your competitive focus from running to cycling where you had to go through that lull of like wait i'm not good at this one yet like i had my game dialed and running and now i'm at the back of the pack Oh yeah, for sure. Um, started getting run into cycling racing seriously when I just moved to Colorado. But my first couple of races were in Oklahoma when I was in pilot training in I think twenty thirteen or fourteen. Um, and yeah, when you're starting as a Cat Five roadie and the whole getting used to the whole category system, yeah, um, it's a little frustrating, especially if uh, you're out there and you're doing really well in the Cat Fives, but you're st- still like not getting any money or you're not getting any prize purse or recognition because you're just a cat five. Um, and so I use that as motivation to go up in the categories because I wanted to relate it more to running because, you know, any running race, it's just an open field. You right. show up and who's at the starting line is who you're racing against. And that's who you're placing against, you know, once in a while there's a pro versus an open field, but, uh, usually it's just everybody on the line and go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're like stuck in this category, it, it's good motivation to move up, but it is definitely frustrating mm-hmm. when you're like, okay, um, clearly at the top of this, the group of the fives here, but I'm not getting recognized for anything. Okay. So, um, which was good motivation because in 2019, um, worked real hard and did a bunch of races and went from a five to a three that year. Uh, unfortunately nice. then, yeah. COVID hit and uh, my goal was to oh. get two last year, but then there's no, I didn't do as many road races and all the road races canceled and whatever. Thankfully mountain bike races stuck it out. So we we're able to do a lot of those, but yeah. Um, so that's a little bit of kind of what went towards more towards mountain and gravel than road. It's just what races happen to exist, but and continue. Looks like you, uh, you picked up a few other challenges along the way. Like, uh, racing up Rampart Range Road and and doing doing an Everest thing on high drive. Yeah, yeah. That was uh... I had some uh, <laughs> some some people that 
motivated and inspired those ideas, but <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. Not looking across the table. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about that Everesting for a minute. Sure. Um, give me an intro for those who don't know what that is, because there's still some out there who may not. Yeah. And then tell me if, as you were doing it, you still thought it was a good idea the whole time. <laughs> I don't know if I ever thought it was a good idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Everesting is a challenge that started, I believe, out of Australia, um, where essentially you have to go up and down the same hill uh, as many times as it takes in order to hit 29,000 feet or what is it in meters? 8248, yeah, yeah. I believe, um, which is the height of Everest. So hence the Everesting in one run. Uh, can't be a loop has to literally be up and down the same road, same trail, just a back and forth continuously until you hit that much elevation gain in one ride. Um, I don't really know how this trend stuck, but during initial phase of COVID while the races were canceled, all the bike racers were getting bored and looking for all these challenges to stay occupied and to, you know, simulate racing and take out their, yeah. you know, competitive and, um, type two or five, whatever this would be <laughs> yeah. fun um, <laughs> desire, right? So uh, last year I was working with Nick Gould um, as my coach, and um, he's also coaching uh, with Josh and um, and Jake Azenbry. So the four of us, and I think between, I think it was a brainchild between Josh and Nick of coming up with the, the of doing Everesting ourselves as a little four person group mm-hmm. on High Drive Road right here outside of town, um, which is what one point six miles, I believe, from bottom to top and about twelve hundred, eleven hundred feet, something like that. I think I blocked the metrics. Of out of yeah, elevation yeah, gain. We've all blocked mm-hmm. it out at this point, yeah. right? And again, for reference, most people do this on pavement, but you guys went ahead and picked a gravel road to do this on. Yep. Yeah. Most people probably do it on pavement. Um, but I think Nick and Josh were feeling a little more sadistic than that and, uh, (laughs) found the loose, steep average 9%, uh, gravel road to do this on our mountain bikes. Um, and how long did this take? It took a little longer for, (laughs) for, for us than Nick. Nick was in killer shape that day. Uh, you weren't far behind him, but it took, um, between the four of us, anywhere between 15 to what, 19 hours of total time and a um, little less than that of moving time, you know, like probably an hour or two worth of cumulative stops for food and bathroom breaks right. and putting on fresh bibs, <laughs> <laughs> chamois butter. Yeah, lots of chamois butter. <laughs> lots of chamois butter. Didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> It's a tough day. And so was that type two or had we gone to a new type of fun? Like, were, were you really in a pain cave for that I mentally? It, yeah, at a certain point, it went to a different type of fun there for sure. Um, half to two thirds of the way through there was was definitely um, the darkest point of the day. Uh, but thankfully, we had a great support group out there. Um, wives, girlfriends, friends on the team, people randomly stopping by to do a lap or two up the road and down with us. So all that was super inspirational throughout the day. Um, not to mention just the random hikers that are out there on the road. And they're like, wait, didn't I just see you come up this? Like how many wait, times yeah. are you doing this? And then eventually you have random people cheering for you too. Uh, so it was super fun. Uh, and then you kind of got over that hurdle once you're like, okay, we have 
you know, 18 out of 26 done, only six more to go. That's not so bad, right? And um, then it got a little bit better. So uh, it was, and then just having the four of us out there too, like we weren't really together for a lot of it, but just going up and down, passing each other, high-fiving each other on the way up and down the road was a good time. Doing that by yourself would have been a tough day. Oh, I don't know if it, I don't know if it would have been possible for me. Well, if we need that report, we're going to go talk to Josh someday about the time he ever did the shoot here in oh, no. town. Oh, no, that was just no. a century. That That's just right. A century. Just a century. Yeah, just a century yeah, up and down the shoots and ladders. Yeah just, yeah, just a chill century. It was very chill. Like 14 degrees. Oh, yeah, literally chill. Yeah. That that's a painful memory. Everything was more fun. I'll say that. Uh, yeah, everything was more fun than a lot of things that you that you did during that time period. Lots it's, of fun bike rides. It's great to have friends to join you on those things. It you sure are, is. You're absolutely correct in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so you you've connected with a community here as you've gotten into cycling more, and. The, the COS racing team that you've been a part of? When, yeah. How did you join in with that, and what did that look like? Yeah, it's a good question. When I came out here, I knew I wanted to find a good cycling group and people to ride with and race with, and I uh, so just went online and searched public teams in the Colorado Springs area, uh, stumbled across COS racing, reached out to a couple people, sent an email to them, and they're just super welcoming. Um, so I went out on a team ride from trails on tap room and rode with them for the first time. And everybody was super friendly. It was a great group. I realized there's kind of all disciplines involved, all ability levels. Mm -hmm. uh, and just immediately signed up for it and kind of went all in. And um, before I knew it, a couple months later, I was like fully kitted out doing tons of races with them. Um, now I'm actually on the board of the team. I've been doing that for a year and a half and uh, it's just been a great community. Now we have up to 130 members. Um, Oh. Great program, yeah, anywhere between club riders, like you're saying, people that literally mm -hmm. just started riding their bikes um, and want to learn more and have a group of people to talk to and learn more from, to um, Cat 2 and former pro and some like national champions. So wide variety of abilities and lots of great resources in the team, great sponsors for the team. And it's been a super fun experience and getting to know everybody, met tons of good friends, wouldn't um had a bit of a tough time with some personal stuff with my with my first year out here and just wouldn't have gotten through it without the community of cyclists that I met through this team. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty ringing endorsement right there. So <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. And it's not just the team. It's like like everybody, the, their team is amazing, but it, it's just led me to be at these races and meet guys like yourselves and um, every race or group ride I go to, meeting new people that... Uh, really just reinforce how good the cycling community here is in Colorado. Yeah. And so I'm guessing that the team also, and some of the influences in there are part of what helped that transition towards mountain and away from the road. In addition to just the fact that COVID meant there were no more road races. Yeah, definitely. I've always had a mountain bike and, um, enjoyed mountain biking, but it was always kind of like on the side, did it once or twice a month in college. And, um, but talking to people more here and meeting people on the team that were super into mountain bike racing, I was able to learn about it and get involved with it more and um, realize what I need for it. Cause uh, even just two years ago, I went to a VeloSwap in Denver and um, traded out my 2009 first gen 29er 
full suspension for like a nice full carbon YT Jeff C. And at the time I was like, oh, this thing's full carbon. Um, this is gonna be a great mountain like race bike. I uh, didn't realize that having Fox 36 um, and 160 su- suspension on the front and back with uh, DHFs and DHRs is like actually not a race bike. So <laughs> no, well, it's not that kind of race super bike. Super fun bike. <laughs> yeah, but uh, great racing downhill. Turns, <laughs> turns out I've learned a lot about mountain biking over the last couple of years. Uh, I bought that bike. Oh, it's like one buy and a dropper post. What else do you need? Turns out there's a big difference between that and like an XC full suspension. So uh, the, the details of cycling is incredible. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you've made it work. I remember going on a ride with you at the Pueblo Reservoir and uh, it wasn't really holding you back. Yeah, you, know, you that, were on that uh, YT that day. YT. A whole bunch of us are out there on our tiny little race whips. Yeah, and you're pretty much hanging in your butts that entire ride yeah. too. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, it, it sounds like just in your story, you you faced a lot of challenges and hardships through, through injury and transitions to different things and trying to orient your schedule to manage just a lot in every aspect of life. How do you maintain everything that you want to do without being overwhelmed? Oh, I'm constantly overwhelmed. I just oh, okay, play, there play you go. cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> constantly overwhelmed on the inside, just trying not to show it. Uh, no, last year was actually just a very different year, um, between COVID and the certain position that I had in my squadron, there's a lot of time to train. Um, you know, we all had a couple months off of work there and, um, that was when we were doing these crazy challenges. There's no bike races, but, uh, people are always saying like, oh, you know, I didn't, didn't do that many races last year and whatnot. Somehow I think I still did 16 races or something last year. So, um, yeah, it was really just a matter of finding the right one, right? Like a lot of, a lot of races stuck it out and they've formatted their race appropriately to make it work. And, um, but I also had a position in the squadron to where I was always around. Um, my day was fairly reasonable and I could kind of work my schedule around being able to ride. Uh, this year I'm in a different position in the squadron where I'm traveling a lot more, uh, a lot longer days, a lot more projects, um, planning trips for the, the glider program. So being able to fit in bike rides has been a lot more challenging. Um, so definitely not the consistent year training that last year was, but still trying to get in what I can and just like not, it would be overwhelming if I was trying to stick with the same plan, but I've accepted that it's just not realistic this year. Still going to do what I can and enjoy it, but also enjoy some other aspects about Colorado too. Yeah. Well, that's something that, you know, Personally, I've struggled with the entire time I've lived here. Every year I tell myself, oh yeah, more camping, more hikes, like we're going backpacking and I just yep. end up riding all year. Like it just, just how it goes. But it is a wonderful state with a ton to offer, even if you get off a bike. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's, that's definitely something that, you know, we want to ask because it's something that we're asking everybody is riding can take an immense amount of time. Not only just being on the bike, but maintenance and everything else with it. And it's just something that we're interested in hearing more about from everybody is how do you find that balance in life? Because we've been talking to people, everybody who from those who've already got kids and families and are trying to fit around that to people who are a lot more free to just say, I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. And it sounds like, like you said, it's a pretty fluid thing for you. Yeah. The the balance is uh, either you constantly ride with a dirty bike or you just (laughs) never watch TV or really have any time to sit down and relax in the house. Right. So um, it's always kind of go, go, go until you go to bed. 
Um, Got work, ride, make dinner, work on the house, clean the bike, um, try to fix the garage, you know, whatever it is. And then suddenly it's 11 o'clock and back up at 6 a.m. the next day. So uh, definitely a challenge, like when you own a house and live on your own and whatnot. So, but at the end of the day, it's worth it. I'd rather be staying busy and doing that stuff than sitting around and watching TV or something. Yeah. So this does, uh, that busyness does lead to one thing. And we've been asking a lot of people this mm-hmm. is, you know, training is one thing, but especially with your background and some of the injuries that took you out of running more as uh, you know, more regularly, mm-hmm. what does rest look like for you in your training schedule? That's, that's a good question. Something I've definitely had to learn and, um, something I learned a lot more about, uh, training with the coach last year is how to actually rest because yeah. As a runner, every single workout is zone two or three. Like that's just the nature of running. So when I started biking, I'm like, this is just how, how I bike too. So every single bike ride was zone two or three. Yeah. Um, but I learned like how to actually do a recovery ride and go out there, stay zone one, sub zone one, and just spin the legs, get the blood flow going. And uh, sometimes you just need that mentally too. And it feels good just to have a day where your heart rate only got to 120 and that's fine. Yeah. Um, you don't have to kill it every single day. Um your body might be able to take it with cycling because you're not going to get, at least I'm not going to get like an overuse injury like you do with running, but Mm -hmm. something's going to give, maybe you'll get sick or you'll start your work performance will suffer or something like that. So you got to have that balance. Um, and then take a day off for a two day or two off a week as well. Do something else, go for a hike or do some rock climbing or whatever is essential as well, just mentally and physically the rest. Yeah. Did you ever consider at one point, you know, you, as you've faced all of these different injuries, did you ever consider just taking time off from the physical approach? What what has kept you going in in that physical world? Yeah, you know, I I really haven't. I some reason just can't stop. Um, if I wasn't cycling, I would probably be going crazy with rock climbing or some other outdoor hobby. Um, and I think ultimately it's just the love to be outside and uh, to maintain a certain level of fitness. Um, it's, I just can't see myself sitting around and I definitely get it from my dad too. He's mid sixties now. He was running sub three hour marathons until he was 55. Um, I picked up cycling from him and now even in his sixties, he's just recovering from basically having a hip replacement after crashing his bike. Um, he's back out there run, riding over a hundred miles and he'll probably do like the triple bypass again this year and all this stuff being oh in his mid sixties and not slow either. He's, he's a beast. So I think that's just uh genetics and inspiration, seeing him do this as a child. Yeah. And uh, as somebody who races in a little bit older category than yourself, I've already learned you don't trust the old dudes. Cause, uh, yeah, those guys, like no matter how old they get, they just don't slow down, which yeah. is, it's awesome. It's the great thing about cycling is yeah. You don't peak until your thirties or forties. I mean, you see guys here in town that are the strongest cycling cyclists in Colorado Springs and they're 40, 45 years old. Um, still kicking all the butts of people in their twenties and these young kids. So, yeah. um, aerobic endurance just takes a long time to build, it takes decades to build that base and with cycling, you're not wearing down your joints as much as other other sports. You can kind of keep going. Yeah. As long as you don't crash. Yeah, about that. Uh, we have been asking people a little thing about cycling that we call best day, worst day. 
yeah. we're wondering best day on a bike worst day on a bike oh, good question um which may or may or may not involve hospitals yeah you know. yeah worst day on a bike definitely involved my first ambulance ride um at least immediately jumping to mind so also another covid thing or and but great thing about our team is while there were no races our team came up with this individual time trial series um to get people out there and you know, mm -hmm. unleash their competitive urge and go race each other virtually with Strava segments. So one of ours was a gravel segment out in Greenland open space and uh, went out there. Thankfully, with my buddy, um, we were doing it individually. He started five miles or five, five, ten minutes ahead of me. He went, gave five, ten minutes, five or ten minutes, and I went. Um, and I was only four or five miles under this uh, double track section um, in Greenland open space on my gravel bike. Yeah, uh, going 25, 30 miles an hour on the slight downhill too fast um, on this gnarly, what should have been like mountain bike kind of trail. Front yeah. wheel goes into some deep sand. I fly over the handlebars, um, land on my head, neck and shoulder and immediately knew something was broken. Um, oh. I'm honestly lucky I didn't break my neck the way that I landed out of that. Um, thought I broke my clavicle, but thankfully some guys came along uh, a few minutes later and Helped me with my bike and but i was too far to get the bike back to the car or to walk back i couldn't pick it up because the transference of pain to my other shoulders so thankfully they helped me get my bike over to the road and then i earned my first ambulance ride to the hospital but turns out i just separated my ac joint with that one mm -hmm. um never had the surgery on it because it was kind of like right in that gray area but uh yeah definitely the the worst day there just um hum kind of a humbling embarrassing experience um Oh yeah, I I too have ended a mountain bike ride in an ambulance, so I definitely know that feeling when you're just sitting there in your scrungy bike shorts and still in your chamois and oh, yeah. had your shirt cut off you, and you're like, well, yeah. hmm, this is not how I thought this day was going. Yep, sitting in the hospital in your spandex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, not where you saw yourself that day for sure. But I think with mountain biking and people that are pursuing racing. In mountain biking, it's uh, those who have and those who will um, yep. wind up with some sort of serious injury. So I uh, just hope that that injury is not something that's going to end your cycling career or worse. So yeah, it's, I consider uh, it lucky. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, you know, when I was first growing up and exposed to the world of cycling, I thought it was hilarious and it made no sense to me that basically unless you die in the tour they just call it a not serious crash like right. the actual french phrase for like even if you're in an ambulance it's still considered a not serious crash i was okay. like who are these people they're nuts yeah and now that i'm in cycling i get it yeah because you're like well did you die no all right you're fine yeah fine <laughs> yeah. bones healed did you break your bike oh that's yeah, yeah like oh that's that's bad <laughs> uh, yeah if you're able to look at your bike and care about that more than what's going on with you then you're you're, you're totally fine then you're all right yeah yeah right. <laughs> yeah oh, and to bracket that best day on a bike like has there been a moment where you're just overtaken with this is so fun i can't believe i get to do this ah well i guess this was the, the two moments that jumped to mind for best day weren't necessarily most fun days because i mean bike racing is like again it's one of those like fun after the fact deals but um either pikes peak hill climb last year had a super good day there uh or we did, uh, did the pikes peak apex bike race strava segment challenge where it was like up rampart range road from garden of the gods to the lookout point mm -hmm. um and just had a really good day on that too so both of which you know during the climbs sucks but yeah when you hit the top you're like wow just did that um was 
an incredible feeling and probably a couple of best days there. Um, really fun days though, are just, you know, getting out and going for, uh, you know, five, six hour ride with the, with some friends and following some faster people than you down a single track trail, trying to keep a wheel and pushing yourself going over and picking some lines that you'd never ride if it was just you, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's always fun too. No, that's awesome. And, uh, this one's kind of a sidebar, but I always want to know this, uh, for people, especially who came from the road, do you enjoy Palmer park yet? Uh, get actually getting there. Yeah. Right. So the last two years I was like, I did not like riding Palmer park. Um, I didn't see what people enjoyed about it. Had no fun there. Um, but actually getting to the point where it is fun, um, especially on the YT, the hardtail, not the right place. Um, but (laughs) yeah, don't uh, take the gravel bike over there. Yeah. No. Um, but on the full suspension, uh, Palmer Park session getting quite fun. Yeah. I rode there the other day with the dog just chases me around on the trails and, um, getting a little better at the techie stuff. Not great. Can't keep up with Josh or, uh, some other guys ride with on that, but more fun for sure. All right, so we're not, we may not see you racing in baggies yet, but at least you're having a good time out there. Yeah, you'll, you'll see me riding around in baggies, racing in them, maybe not anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So I, I got a little bit out of blue question for you. This is uh, straight from the U.S. Air Force Academy track and field website. Oh, no. Uh, they got some good stuff. Apparently, your nickname is Baboon? Yeah, yeah, that's one of those nicknames that didn't stick. So uh, <laughs> there, there is some... Yeah, we all had uh, nicknames on the cross-country team in college. Just one of the traditions that's been since the cross-country team has Mm. existed at the academy. And some people have such good nicknames that I forgot their actual name. You have Um, an example? Oh, some examples, yeah. Uh, Snuggles, Skittles, Gumdrop. Oh, um, yeah. Some good ones there. Yeah, Yeah. we got some quality stuff there. There's, let's see, uh, there's, there's Goats. There's, there's a bunch more, but yeah, I feel like I kind of walked into a situation where they just wanted to call somebody baboon and I was like tall, lanky, tan guy. Um, and like, oh, perfect baboon, but they never used it really. It's always just been Matt Bell. Like, okay. oh, like just one, one word, word. Yeah. one word, Matt Bell. That's pretty much how it's always been. People have tried other nicknames too here and there and nothing sticks. So I don't have that nickname face, I guess. I guess. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, do you have any future goals that you're looking at? Anything that's really on your, your bucket list right now? Cycling specific or? Sure. We'll start there. Okay. Um, well, I want to go, I do want to go back to another hundred mountain bike race. Um, mm-hmm. cause I tried to tell you I had hundred last year. Uh, it was an epic monsoon and they had to reroute the second part of the race to basically do the first lap twice. So cut it down to 82 miles arguably way harder than what the hundred would have been. Cause it was just straight mud and rain and misery for those 82 miles, but still haven't, still haven't done a hundred mile mountain bike race. So, um, either that or Leadville, uh, some other kind of epic hundred mile mountain bike race is definitely on the, the list. Um, and beyond that, I don't know, I'm still brainstorming some, some good ideas. Right on. Very nice. Very nice. What, uh, what's one thing that no one would guess about you any hidden talents or oh yeah pretty I mean, pretty vanilla i mean we had nick on the show last week or the last episode and we found out that he's a dj which i had no idea is he really yeah no i had no idea um shoot. dj your yeah your next party yeah. no yeah that, that'd be cool you don't have like a ukulele stashed somewhere else 
that we don't know about. <laughs> no, no, no ukulele. I mean, like any every other Colorado, and I have a guitar that I can play four chords on. Um, but that yet to be revealed. Yeah, yet yeah, to be revealed. Keeping it a secret. There we, there we go. Well, before we finish, do you have uh, do you have any questions for us? Anything that you've been just dying dying to ask? Oh, you guys put me on the spot enough. I think uh, <laughs> put put you guys on the spot. So, what's your next big thing? Oh, the next big thing is that a secret too? You know, there there are a lot of foolish things up up the sleeve that pull out on some bad days, but uh, I think in in the works right now, the next thing in the sights is is the Pikes Peak Apex again. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what happens with that. Maybe yeah. I'll get bored sometime this summer and have some time on my hands, and we'll see. Train for it so you can kick my ass. Um, <laughs> I got to try. Bad news is I might not be able to do the Apex this year. Oh. Um, signed up for it right now, but we have a work trip planned to go to one of the um, aerobatic competitions in the sailplanes in Kansas. It's the uh, National Aerobatic Competition, and it happens to be on the same week. I so, mean, that doesn't sound like the worst way to spend your weekend. You know, there's worse jobs to have. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. yeah I definitely can't complain that I'm going to be going out and getting paid to fly a glider upside down. Um, so if if I had to trade it for anything, I mean, I suppose it's not a bad alternative, but I might not be able to be out there suffering on the mountain bike with you. Well, I hope you can still make it. We really appreciate you coming on the show and spending some time sharing your stories with us, sharing uh, a little about what you do and why you do it. And uh, I look forward to spending more time on the bike out there with you. Yeah, yeah. me too. Um, one quick question. COS Racing, anybody wants to get involved in that? Is there a, yeah. uh, is that the thing to Google or is there any other great place to find them or? Yes, USRacing.com. Uh, you can find us on the Instagram as well. So at COS Racing, I believe. Um, but those are the two main ways. And then you can reach out via email. Uh, instant message on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. Um, just search for that, COS Racing Colorado Springs. Um, and send any of us a message and you'll get a response back pretty much instantly. So uh, always take in new people um, and excited to grow the team. Super cool. All right. Now that we know it's one word, Matt Bell, thanks yep. so much for being here today. <laughs> this is super fun. Yeah, thank you guys. Really appreciate it. If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.